The beer and the burgers, the light and the noise. The three is still here with the boys. Oh, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief Ah, those it is. lovely plop, bubbles fizz, for aches and pains oh, with upset stomach. Alka-Seltzer works fast. Oh, what a relief For acid indigestion, try Alka-Seltzer Gold. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 84 of Eventually Super Train. I hope you all are well. Stay safe, everybody. Stay inside and listen to this. We've got you've got 84 episodes of this show. Each one's about two hours long. That's 160 hours. I mean, you you should be able to enjoy yourself if you enjoy hearing my voice. If you don't, then you're you're um, up Shit's Creek, which is a show that ended recently. It was a lovely show, and um, but Shit's Creek turned out to be you know a lot of fun in the end. So this is Adventure Super Train, short-lived TV show podcasts. Uh, we give you know the shows the love, and they're short-lived, and you know eventually we we'll get to a Super Train. If I can find where I put those discs, um, but in this one. I'm Dan. I'm your host. we got three segments. We're going to start off this one with Shadow Chasers, episode three. And then we are going to go to, yes, Green Hornet, yay, is back again. We are discussing, what is it, episode 15 of Green Hornet, May the Best Man Lose? Okay, oh, let me give it, let me, shh, 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 let me give you this. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, directed by Alan Reisner, written by Judith Barrows, Robert Guy Barrows, December 23rd, Merry Christmas, 1966. Where were you on that Christmas? Was that the, um, that was around the time of the, the Green Acres Christmas episode, wasn't it? Uh, Scanlon, uh, district attorney is running for another term. Oh boy, someone blows up his car with one of his aides in it, which is unfortunate. And, um, Basically, the Hornet and Cato have to try to figure out who is tried to kill Scanlan. There seems to be a mad bomber, and may have something to do with his opponent. Um, it's 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 very straightforward. Someone's trying to kill Scanlan at the time that he's going to get reelected as DA. So that's so so when you get to the the second segment of this episode, uh, the, uh, Kristen Hawes, aka Kiki, writes the wonderful. Chris and Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki writes, and myself will be discussing this episode. And I, it's just going to go right into it. You'll hear a blast of the theme, and then we'll talk about it. And then the third segment will be Mitchell, Hadley, and myself discussing Green Hell, May of 1960, uh, the 34th episode of Bourbon Street. We still, we still have five, six, seven, eight, nine. We still have five episodes left. Everyone, isn't that awesome? Okay, so so that is that is the setup. We're Shadow Chasers, Green Hornet, Bourbon Street. Be yes, everyone who's standing around going, "Hey, damn, are you ever going to finish Masquerade?" Hey, knock it off. We are we are going to finish Masquerade. Uh, we got one. We we have the thirteenth episode of Masquerade, the one that never aired. Oh, and may I just say this? I didn't realize this. I was on a site, and I'll get what the the site was um, that was covering Erie, Indiana, just uh, in in print on the site on their on their blog, and they mentioned that what is it? Broken record. The the last episode we covered of Erie, Indiana, because it didn't air. 
I learned that actually it kind of did air because it had been preempted by a speech on the East Coast, but it aired on the West Coast later on. But but so ah, so I kind of goofed on that. Um, I, I didn't realize that. I thought it simply didn't air. But I'd have to look back at the dates, but apparently on that date it was supposed to air. A speech was on. It didn't air on the East Coast, but it did air on some places on the West Coast. Because people, apparently people have, there used to be bootlegs of that episode. Where you could, when the closing credits came up, and it's like, next time on Good Morning America. You know, that kind of thing. Um, which we talk about in Channel Chasers a lot. Um, they were talking about things that aired like the next day or two after when it was supposed to originally air. So, sorry about that, everyone. I, um... When 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 Amy and I uh, discussed that episode, we really felt it was out of place, and it was obviously out of place. But we were trying to talk about it the way, because like the masquerade episode we're going to talk about is is the one they didn't air, and we'll talk about that when we get. We haven't. I haven't. I haven't seen it. I I've never seen it. But like the, if I'd known the broken record had done that, I would have fixed it, and I apologize. So. Um, having, have I apologized like eight times in this opening here? I apologize for taking up so much time. Let's go. Oh, enjoy me talking about Shadow Chasers. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Shadow Chasers, Episode 3, Amazing Grace. November 28th, 1985. Happy Thanksgiving. Susan Goldberg and Bob Rosenfarb wrote it, and Barbara Peters, hey, of Humanoids of the Deep, directed it. Let's see. And this one, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this. This one begins, I think the implication is that they're in Idaho. They end up in a, in a town named Hooperville, um, uh, 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 Benny and, and Jonathan. But uh, this one begins with them driving on a random road in the middle of nowhere in a rental car that looks a little bit shaky. And I'm going I'm to play you. Here, here is their dialogue as they are driving. And you, you will hear the, the musical clash at the beginning is something that happened everywhere in the 80s. It probably still has happens now. And you can almost guess when you hear. Imagine the scene. They're driving down the street. Jonathan's driving. That The music you're going to hear is playing. And Benny is next to him. And you can almost guess Benny's uh, the look on Benny's face as he's listening to the music. And you could probably make a pretty good guess as to what the song will be uh, that Benny switches it to. And he's, he, he does it very well. Too. Well, listen to this. Depending on should be the crime. <laughs> 
anything lighten up. We finished that last assignment record time. It's hardly a challenge to prove that Julius Caesar never set foot in Idaho. I'm not entirely convinced yet. I think we got his chariot. Hey, careful. Wait, wait. Wait. The rental place assured me this was a classic. Yeah, but he also assured you that it was the cheapest car on the lot. It doesn't even have seatbelt. I did this for you. Dr. Morehouse threatened to garnish you the royalties on your next book. He didn't cut our expenses by 50%. Skin off my wallet. I lost money on the last book. Did you do it? So yeah, a lot going on there. Yeah, you could have probably guessed that, that it was pretty obligatory back then that um, the way uh, you showed that someone was uh, 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 so a person who was having a good time or a person who was a good time uh, would play I Feel Good by James Brown. So, the, so that's that's pretty standard there. Yeah, and, and their, their car goes off a cliff, uh, tire, tire burst, car goes off a cliff, and they end up at the Hooperville General Hospital. Um, uh, Jonathan seems okay, but Benny doesn't seem so great. He's in the operating room, and apparently he dies and has a bit of an out-of-body experience. Doctor? We've lost him. It's me! It's me down there! What's going on here? Look get this, I'm moving! Hey, hey folks, folks, can't you see me up here? Guys, look up, it's me! Your patient! I've heard losing your patient, this is ridiculous! Whoa, I'm in the wall! Somebody stop me! Oh, what was that? I went right through! Oh, pardon me, lady. Not steering myself, you know. Hey, why are you crying? Oh, sorry to bump and run. Excuse me. Go right ahead, kids. I'm invisible. Secret safe with me. I'll kiss and tell. Talk about your e-ticket, Mike. It's great. I love it. The mind boggles to think of the possibilities of this experience. First class air travel. Without a plane. I got it. Edgar Benedict. Lie on the wall. Nobody can figure out how I do it. Including me. Excuse me, miss. Can you tell me how to get back to the ER? Boy, they should treat the patients okay. I might even like this place. That is, if I ever land. I gotta stop this thing. Wish Jonathan was here. At least I wouldn't be alone. Yo, nurse, you stop playing with those pills and help me? Don't ignore me. I I'm starting to get a real bad feeling about this thing. and floating. It's starting to make me seasick. Oh, man, why? Well, I wouldn't get to see a familiar face. Anything. my taxes. Now what's this? Where am I now? John, is that you? Oh no, I hadn't rented that piece of junk. It wasn't even the money. I lied to you. I lost my virginity in the backseat of a car exactly like that. You mean I'm in this place because you were having a romantic flashback? Mary Jane McDonald. Mary Jane? Thanks a lot, Mary Jane. Oh, what a time to be sentimental. 
And so that scene is, as you imagine, there's sort of Vaseline haziness around the edge, and it's all point of view of many kind of um, what he sees as he floats through the hospital and, and passes through walls and rooms and go up, goes up steps. And we'll talk about what he sees uh, a little later on because it does tie in with, with what's happening. And then at the very end um, of that, and I, I paused before uh, we got there, um, but I just I just want to play you this brief clip. He, he basically, he goes down a hallway filled with shadowy figures and there's a light at the end of the tunnel and he sees a woman. Please don't die on me, Natalie. Please don't die. Believe me, pal, I don't want to. Gotta chase some shadows, Jack. Help! Something's pulling me, bud. Something's taking me. Don't let me go. You have to hold on to me. Don't shake me. I'm scared. You're all I got to hold on to. No! No! I'm gonna miss you. Jonathan! I'm scared. I, I gotta find out what's going on. Why won't anybody answer me? Hey, hold on. Talk to me, will you? Where are you disappearing to? Stay, please. Just for a minute. Come back. Don't leave me here alone. You've got to stop it. Stop it. Don't let it happen again. Help them. Stop what? What's wrong? I don't know what you mean. Help who? You must, you must end it, please. Lady, I'm sorry. I don't know what you want from me. Please, please, please. I can't stop. I'm losing you. Whoa. Then he comes back to life after having had this out-of-body experience, and um, and he he has he wants uh, Jonathan to find out who uh, this woman is, and he actually he sees her in a paper. Her name is Grace, I believe it's Grace Moran, but I, I could be wrong on that. But her name is Grace. Grace Moran, and she died recently in the hospital. And so uh, uh, Benedict kind of guilts Jonathan because Jonathan, you know, rented a cheap car. And as you heard, he rented the car because of a previous experience he'd had in that, that make of a vehicle. And so Jonathan dresses up in a giant chicken suit and goes in the computer records room. And he, uh, this is the scene where he um, sings to the lady in the records room. My name is Colonel Cluck Cluck, I'm here to make your day. You just want a brand new car and have now to say. So if you want to see it, it's parked just right outside. The keys are sticking in it, so have yourself a ride. And while you're out enjoying your good fortune and your luck, remember that the food is great at the sign of Colonel Cluck. Go get your car, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> so we do learn, yeah, that Grace died in the hospital. And soon after this, an uh, older gentleman who Benny befriends, who he saw 
in his out-of-body experience is uh, dies also. And we begin to piece together that someone in the hospital uh, believes they are an angel of mercy. And I won't go too too far into it here, who it might be, one of the nurses, one of the doctors, who it is. But uh, yeah, Benny gets, um, Jonathan gets arrested after trying to do a similar thing again in the computer room, but this time uh, not dressed as a giant chicken. And then Benny um, almost dies again. But I will leave it at that. And let us uh, discuss Amazing Grace, Colonel Cluck Cluck. <laughs> ah, for fun. Uh, one of the uh, actresses in this movie is, I believe her name is Paige McKenzie. She's one of the nurses. And she was, of course, the final girl-ish, final girl adjacent from the very wonderful Herb Freed-directed Graduation Day from 1981. So it's nice to see her in this on a major network show. Although more people probably saw Graduation Day when it came out than, than, than saw this. And Graduation Day had a very limited release. And it's that's another story. So... Amazing Grace, the third episode. Um, I it, this this is an interesting one because um, obviously it starts off with an out of body experience, and it's it's okay. We'll 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 cover this right now. The out of body experience is weird because one of the things about this episode is sort of debunking or finding any proof of supernatural stuff. And you know, like like in the beginning, uh, Julius Caesar never set foot in Idaho. You know, and and the previous two episodes we have those moments where everything's explained except for the one thing. And in this, at the very end. We have a moment where um, uh, Benny says, well, I'm not hearing any more of the chimes. He hears the chimes whenever he sees something related to the out-of-body experience. And I'm not seeing any, hearing any more of the chimes and no more out-of-body experiences. And um, although he do, and then he mentions uh, Mary Jane, what is it, um, uh, Mary Jane McDonald, uh, who you, you heard about earlier, who, where um, you know, uh, Jonathan lost his, his virginity to, to Mary Jane. And, uh, oh, it's Patch McKenzie, not Paige McKenzie. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, duh. Um, uh, sorry, sorry, Ms. McKenzie. So that moment at the end is sort of like the, the moments at the end of the others, but what about the spear? Um, what about the... Um, I forget what was the other the, the thing in the first... Oh, what about the, uh, the statue that fell at the, the hotel? And this is sort of like that... Except for the fact that 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 um, uh, Benedict did have an out of body experience, he actually experienced a supernatural. He went down the you know the tunnel, saw the light at the end of it, and then returned. You have to breathe. You have to breathe. And so it seemed to me that that is, and even even Doctor Morehouse is kind of on Benedict's side. It would seem to me that that would be like pretty big. I mean, <laughs> that would be like sort of the moment at the end of. Um, uh, what is it? The uh, it's a sunshine day episode of the X Files, which which used to be the penultimate episode of the X Files. Then it was the penultimate episode before the second movie. Now it's like episode two hundred or something like that after the two series in the movie. Um, but it's the one with the Brady Bunch house, where at the very end of the episode they bring Skinner absolute proof of supernatural, absolute proof of strangeness. I won't go into it further, but it's a huge moment. I mean, it's like with a Gibson praise. You know, it's a huge moment when they find this because that person is proof of everything they've been after. But for whatever reason, um, it obviously the X Files would be over at that point if if they had you know Gibson praise. Oh my gosh, he can do all these things. We say, okay, let's close the X Files. There's no need to keep going. We, I mean, I guess they could keep going certainly, but. It, it, but it's interesting because you, you have these big moments where it's like, oh my gosh, we're about to prove everything that we've been after. And it would seem to me that this is a big moment, at least especially for, for Benny. And you would think that Jonathan 
would believe him from the not only knowing about um, uh, uh, Mary Jane McDonald, um, I was going to say Mary Jane McKenzie, stop it, Patch McKenzie, uh, not, not only from Mary Jane McDonald, but the fact that Benedict knows all this stuff. He knows about Grace dying and the chimes and he knows all the characters, this, that, and the other. And so you would think that the fact that he had an out-of-body experience would mean that next week this would be a big thing. Uh, spoiler, it's not. In fact, I don't believe it's ever mentioned again, although it might be mentioned again in the in the remaining 10 episodes, but I don't think it is. So you get this weird moment where one of the main characters has a huge supernatural experience. And at the end of the episode, it's like, <laughs> ah, joke about, um, you know, uh, Jonathan losing his virginity. And then it's all over and it's never mentioned again. You think it would be a bigger part of the program. Uh, you know, like Scully getting abducted. You know, in the start of season two, I hate to keep bringing it back to the X-Files, but, but there you go. You know, Scully getting abducted at the start of season two, you know, that becomes a big thing. And I don't mean maybe down the line, you know, like um, like the, the pilot episode of the X-Files with that kid who seems to be helping aliens kidnap his fellow students, you know, spoiler, that becomes a thing like seven seasons later. And it's like, wait a minute, we're back at this. And it was like they, they were playing because it seems... I won't go into it further, but, but maybe if, if, if Shadow Chasers had gone seven seasons, there would be a return to the out-of-body thing. Maybe something, he'd have another out-of-body experience. Maybe he'd meet some people who had out-of-body experiences and something or other would happen. But it's it's weird that they very specifically give him this long experience, which sort of peppers the whole episode. And then it's forgotten. It's done. Okay, so what about the episode itself? It's okay. Um, uh, it starts off fine with them in the car, and then the crash, and then the out-of-body experience. So it's sort of disorientating at, at the beginning. But then it settles in. The, the, the tricky part of it is that Benny is, is has a broken leg and a broken arm. So he's either in being pushed in a wheelchair or in a bed the whole time. So And this isn't like Rear Window. you know. Um, I do like Barbara Peters as a director. but, but he so, so that means Jonathan has to do all the sort of movement and... Um, it's 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 a weird episode because um it's it's i think i think it's a pretty darn good one but the the absolute the 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 actual story itself there's nothing supernatural about it there's absolutely nothing supernatural going on i will i will give you a little bit of spoiler right now as i'm going to spoil every episode here but the the spoiler is basically yeah that there is a nurse and she is killing people. She is is killing people. And um, the, well, the way she tries to do it to Benny, because she tries to kill Benny near the end, she puts, um, and this was the first time I found out about this, she puts an air bubble in his IV. So when the air bubble enters, I don't know, it's in... Uh, he gets it's going to be bad. He's going to die. When the air bubble enters his bloodstream, he's going to die. I think when it gets to his heart, I forget what it is. I'd never heard of that before. And I remember seeing this at 12 thinking, oh my gosh, yeah, anyone could do that. Could, doesn't that kind of thing accidentally happen? But then you see them always tapping the air bubble out and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, and she, she kills and then, um, and you know, there's... It, it, it's really it's it's a strangely structured episode because you have that first so you have all that opening the sequence I mean the like the version I have is what 40 48 minutes long and all the stuff with the crash and the tunnel and the out of body experience is basically like the first 11 minutes like the first fifth of the episode and then it kind of settles into who was this woman and it, it's it's interesting because you, you could sort of see a bit of a strain here and there in in the story where, like, the first time Jonathan goes into, as Colonel Cluck Cluck, um, is it Colonel Cluck Cluck? M Mr. Cluck Cluck, Monsignor Cluck Cluck, goes into the computer room. Okay, that makes sense. They get the information they need. But then later on, uh, he has to do it again. And he gets in another outfit and he gets the information, but then he gets caught and arrested. And he seems to get 
caught and arrested, specifically so he won't be there when the nurse enters, and Benny's already been um, blasted with a sedative by another nurse who is not a killer, uh, just as normal, the normal sedative that he would get for the evening. But then the killer nurse comes in, and and so it becomes a race against time where they have to um, uh, Morehouse bails Mackenzie out, and they have to race to the hospital because they realize what's going on. I think it's it's kind of nicely done because um, you you sort of like see a um, like someone listening in on a speaker into Benny's room to hear what he's is saying, and uh, it's 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 nicely it's I think it's nicely done, and it, it is a pretty suspenseful sequence. Um, it's. Um, I, it's one of those sequences that is, is a little less suspenseful the more you watch the episode. I mean, I've watched it now half a dozen times, and, and it was definitely more suspenseful the first time I saw it. I knew Benny wasn't going to die, um, but then technically he'd already died once in the episode, so maybe he would have died, but this seemed a pretty permanent. It, it's funny, like, their car goes off a cliff, like Mannix, and the car just flies off this cliff and crashes all over. That doesn't kill him, but a, a simple um, uh, air bubble will take him out. Mm. So Mackenzie is, because, like I said, Jonathan can't be, Mackenzie is just being manic all over the place. And let me just say, uh, because I have it playing here, when Jonathan opens a newspaper, the Hooperville Gazette, and sees Grace's, and uh, Benedict sees uh, uh, Grace Moran's picture on the front cover. But look at that headline. Does that say Hooperville, or does that say Hooterville Gazette? I think it says Hooterville. And are they trying to say that Hooterville is in Idaho? I don't know. I don't know, but um, but that clearly says Hooterville, doesn't it? I mean, the Hooter, Hooterville had the Guardian, not the Gazette. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very fun episode in, in the fact that the, the out-of-body experience is loaded with all the clues you need, which is, one, is almost like a, like a beginning of a giallo or something, you know, like a deep red, where you see a bunch of things that make no sense, and then as you watch it, they gradually begin to make sense. So, um... What else do we got going on in this episode? Um, uh, how, how about the comedy in it? Well, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess the opening sequence with the car is wacky. And Colonel Cluck Cluck, I, I guess, is wacky. Um, not particularly laugh out loud funny. Um, there was a great scene where Benny is talking to the older gentleman who who was killed, and uh, Benny's just making some bad jokes about a plumber. I think that, if I remember correctly, the um, the old man's son is a plumber, and he makes some joke. You know, I, I, I want to talk to him. I just wrenched my back, or, you know, and, and some other bad jokes. But but they're fun because Benny is making them, I think, sort of knowing they're bad jokes, and the guy is kind of laughing along, and it's it's fun to chat with someone, you know. And, and so that that's kind of a lovely moment. Funny, not particularly. There was a transvestite in the um, the jail cell that Mackenzie's put into, who I, I could take or leave. Although... <laughs> I will say the the transvestite throws this one guy, this drunk, against the wall, and um, I don't know where they put up that that prison uh, set, but the wall is a little bit on the wobbly side. So so the comedy in this episode, eh, I could take or leave. It's more uh, manic than anything, and and uh, you, you know like um like last precinct comedy when we talked about that a lot of last precinct isn't sort of comedy isn't sort of very funny um but it's certainly manic and there's a lot of stuff going on it almost becomes like a like i think i mentioned like almost like a mad magazine kind of thing or one of those cracked has a look at you know bus stations or cracked has a look at an office party you know there are a hundred things going on in the page and all these little word balloons that is nuts and usually frankenstein monsters in the corner so um it, it's it's an interesting episode because, and I, I think I've said that three or four times already, It's things are a bit hectic at the moment. Um, 
because because there is the strange structure of it um and it it, it it almost feels like even though the first fifth is is dealing with sort of stuff on the side and then sort of the benny in the in the hospital um begins like 11 or 12 minutes in it also sort of seems like they don't have enough in the episode like like i said having him go back to the the computer room twice um the closing act as it were um there, there's a moment where they bring in another one of Benny's friends, which I guess if it's a continuing thing, it's not really filler. It's, what is it, Zabo and um, Hortense, I believe? And Zabo is a ventriloquist, and Hortense is sort of Miss Piggy-esque uh, ventriloquial dummy who, who is able to um, get visions. And um, they ask, you know, tell we're looking for someone named Grace. And, and you know, first he um, brings up uh, Gracie from Burns and Allen, which is fun. Um, uh Although I, I don't know that her name was actually Grace. I always thought it was just Gracie. But, but you know, she does that. And then she, she sort of contacts, channels Grace. And then um, they have to... Uh, uh, Mackenzie has to sneak this guy, Zabo and Hortense, into the hospital late at night. Um, apparently, there's no security at all. He's able to walk in dressed as a chicken. He's able to get past everyone pretending he is whoever he is the second time around. And he's also, um, yeah, they're able to sneak in this this dummy and this other guy who, and Zabo seems to be dressed like a monk or something. I don't know quite what's going on there. Um, but the, it's it, this episode, at the end of the day, um, I've got some problems with, like I said, with the structure. And one of the tricky things is there is a moment where, um, so we get the big climactic sequence with the air bubble, and then the day is saved, but the um, the nurse goes missing. And then the last, like, six or seven minutes is her basically taking Benny up to the roof of the hospital and trying to throw him off of it. And it's it's weird because it is the climactic moment of the episode, Unfortunately, though, the air bubble sequence was a bit more exciting. And by this point, you know, Benny already died once in the beginning. He escaped the air bubble thing. We know he's not going to die in the hospital thing. They do their best to make it exciting. But it's almost like... It's almost... I was going to say that the final attack sequence in Octopussy, uh, the James Bond film from uh, a couple of years before this... Um, because there's a long sequence in Octopussy with James Bond and, on the train where there's a nuclear bomb and they're going to blow it up at the prestigious uh, circus act and he has to dress as a clown and he gets in lots of fights and you know somehow he gets off the train gets to a car chase and all kinds of craziness goes on and that's that sequence from when he kind of begins chasing the train to when the nuclear bomb uh, spoiler is is diffused or, or turned off um, goes on for I want to say over 30 minutes of the movie and what ends up happening is you get to the end of that it's like wow that was a really good sequence and then the final like 15 minutes or so is the attack on the bad guys like island uh, layer which is so anticlimactic it's a little tough to keep keep paying attention to unfortunately uh and uh, and the final sequence of this is kind of the same thing i mean yeah that nurse comes along and 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 page patch and begins to flirt with with jonathan which is fun but and then you get to see and there's some in there you do get the full-on like um why the nurse is doing what she's doing but it it is anticlimactic unfortunately i think uh and and which makes it weird because like the first 10 minutes are kind of 10 11 minutes are doing one thing and then and then the next what uh not 40 like 30 minutes or so 30 minutes or so are doing another and then you get kind of another climax on top of that and it's it, it all 
it feels a little off to me, unfortunately. Uh, everyone does their best, though. But like I said, the sort of center of the episode is a man with a broken arm and a broken leg who can't really move. So yeah, you got to kind of move. Everyone's like I said, everyone's moving frantically around him. But in the end, eh, I, I will say this. Okay, how about this? How how about this then? This episode is one, is the one, I mean, I vaguely remember watching the premiere and then Spirit of St. Louis, but this is the one I very, very clearly remember because this aired on Thanksgiving and this normally, um, uh, between seven and nine, I was at Boy Scout meetings and I would tape Shadow Chasers in my, uh, down in the family room of our house, 76 Kingsgate North, Rochester, New York. And then in the den, my family, I think we're watching like Cosby Show and Family Ties, which most of America was doing, which is why Shadow Chasers was only on uh, the network for nine episodes. But which seems a lot, even. They would have canceled it after like two or three nowadays, but they got they got a full, well, not a full, uh, but they got nine episodes. Um, so, there, um, so, so this episode, um, Thanksgiving, uh, we were at, because the way Thanksgiving generally worked, and I don't remember if it worked like that this year but we would go my and i told the story before my mom and dad um lived across the street from each other on fairbanks um and it was a lovely neighborhood growing up in there it was very italian very polish and now i think it's very crack housey and and uh yeah the budniks lived on one side and the voitals lived on the other and so on christmas no, I'm sorry. I, well, on Christmas Eve, we used to go to hang out with my mom's family, and Christmas Day was with my dad's family until my mom remarried, and then it became more complicated. Um, but in 85, this would have been... Yeah, this would have been um, right... Uh, they got married in early 85, so this would have been the first year we were living at Kingsgate North. And usually the way it worked is like we'd go to sort of a lunch at my, my mom's family's house. Then when that was done, we'd hang out for a while. Then maybe around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, we'd cross the street and have some dinner over there. And I was able to convince my family, I don't know how, but I was able to convince them to not watch, I think, Sound of Music, which is what my grandmother watched every year uh, uh, on Thanksgiving, and not watch Cosby or Family Ties, but to watch this new show, Shadow Chasers. I forgot how I pitched it to them. But they watched it. To say they were not impressed would be an understatement. Um, I remember, um, I, th I think they were okay with it at first. Um, then the moment, I think Jonathan came in dressed as a chicken, which was this big wacky scene. Um, uh, there wasn't a sound from the room. And then when um, Hortense is doing her... Um, Hortense and Zabo are doing their thing. They were just kind of looking at me like, what's this about? I think the, the, the air bubble sequence grabbed them, but... Um, then after that sequence is done, it goes to a commercial break, and there's still like 10 minutes left, and it really did feel like that was the end. And the, 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 the last section was, was anti, is, is anticlimactic, and I could just like, I think maybe my Uncle Raj humored me, but I remember everyone else being kind of like, oh, thanks a lot for that, Danny. And I remember, the, the main thing I remember is that when they showed the trailer for the next episode, which is what, the middle of somewhere or whatever it was, I remember when it got to the end, and you, you, you basically, uh, uh, it, it, a plane crashes. They're in a plane crash. And, and so, like, this episode began with a car crash, and they end up in a hospital. This episode begins with a plane crash, and they end up in this weird place. And the, the final sequence in the trailer, or the, the little teaser fella for the next week, is you, you see um, Jonathan get off, like, a, a strange white slab in this weird room, pull the, the sheet away from Benny's face, and you hear him say, like, Benedict? 
and then it goes to the goes to the uh, credits. The moment it went to the credits, my aunt Cindy said, "So does this guy Benedict die in every episode?" And I said, "Well, you know, it's only been three, and um, he didn't die in the first two, um, so I will say no, he doesn't die in every episode." But that was a little unfortunate that they chose to, to uh, pitch the next episode, ending with, "Is Benedict dead?" When this episode began with. Is Benedict dead? Because it makes you look like you don't have a lot of um, cards up your sleeve. You don't. You got. Ain't got a lot of arrows in a quiver, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. So the episode ended, and I was like, "Oh gosh, that." I mean, I'm glad I got to see it, and I, I believe I taped it, which was cool. But I, I thought maybe it would be fun. You know, maybe I could get some of my family turned on to it. But no, 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 no. They were not. And the problem, and it didn't help that. And I'll mention this again when we get to it. But it really didn't help that the next episode uh, was um, uh, didn't air, as far as I know, due to um, I think Reagan gave a speech. You know, he was that that was the thing. You grow up on the East Coast. Um, whenever there's a big speech or anything that the president gives or, or something big happens, it's always like around eight o'clock, and you, it always preempts uh, your shows. And and sometimes, like there there was a sometimes I, f- I found out one time there was there was a miniseries called Fresno, which I think aired in '86, and it aired over the course of one week. It had a two-hour premiere on um, uh, on Sunday night, and then I think it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and like Friday they did one, two, three. Three, four, five, six. They did like an hour a night, and then it kind of wraps up. But I think like the third hour, which is maybe like the Tuesday or the Wednesday, was it didn't air. There was a presidential speech and it didn't air. I remember I was taping it, and suddenly I was like, oh no! And so I stopped taping it and just watched it at that point. And luckily, since then I've been able to get a copy and I've watched it all the way through. But it was interesting because when I got home that the next when I got to school the next day, a gal named Janet who had been watching it also said, "Did you see the episode last night?" And I said, "No, it wasn't on because of the president's speech." No, no, they aired it like after the news at like 11.30 or something like that. I was like, are you kidding me? And so, yeah, they had aired it. Maybe, well, well, we could talk about this next time, although I think I've already talked about it. Maybe the next episode did air later in the day, but I never saw the next episode um, until uh, I was able to get a copy of it maybe 10 years ago or so. So, yeah, that was too bad. So it'll be two weeks uh, before there's another Shadow Chasers episode. So yeah, so so this is this is one that holds a special place in my heart, just because I remember very clearly sitting on the couch with everyone sitting around there and being so unimpressed with it. I think even at one point my grandmother may have been come in and said, like, "Why are we watching this instead of something else?" Well, Danny uh, recommended it. And I, well, I mean, I there only been this is only the third episode, and I liked the first two. I thought it might be fun. Ah, that's too bad. So I think that's about it for Amazing Grace. If um. I mean, if, if you enjoyed the first two episodes, there's no reason why you wouldn't enjoy this. Although, again, it is a slightly askew from, from a sort of supernatural stuff that they've been doing. Uh, supernatural investigation. There's no real supernatural investigation in this. There's just trying to piece together a supernatural moment into a real sort of thing. And it's, it's an okay episode. And yeah, next week we will get the uh, preempted episode, The Middle of Somewhere. Is it The Middle of No? I forget. It's The Middle of Something or Other. And now let us go on to this. <laughs>
tonight. May the best man lose. Here we go. I am here with my friend, Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Wrights, and we're about to talk this episode. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm ready to discuss a Scanlan-heavy episode-ish, sort of. Yeah, a bit. Eh, mostly it's creeping around after some some sleazy guy, but but no no, there's a lot of scandal in it too. So um uh what what did you what did you think of this? May the best man lose. <laughs> well, uh, the very first note on my page is don't blather on about Harold Gould because I love him so much. But um <laughs> overall, yeah, I like this episode. Um, I do like that we were we were dealing with the. Uh, campaigning and Scanlon, how important it was for Scanlon to keep his job and that there was some dirty tricks to be had. There was some blowing up of some people in cars and things, you know, and um, it, it was like that. We, we needed a political scandal type episode. And here we go. This is this is how we have it, because they bring up how Scanlon hasn't been able to capture the, the Green Hornets in a debate and um, Mike, of course, has to ask about uh, the one guy getting blown up in in Scanlon's car, and uh, which, of course, Scanlon answers the question beautifully. But then he chastises Mike, and it's like you really did want him to go up for murder one in that other episode, yes. didn't you? Yeah. So rude. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get you know we get the twist that it's not. It's it's not our opposing candidate Harold Gould, but his brother that's doing it, which you know stands to reason. Um, and there's like he's got his own reasons for it that actually don't have a whole lot to do with uh, his brother. It's more about you know saving his own skin. So yeah, I mean I kind of I like the intrigue aspect. Mm-hmm. Of this, and then how the and I liked the reveal at the end when they're in the bank and stuff like that. So I kind of liked it. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I think it's an I kind of like it uh, for me. I I it's I, I like the way it's structured where as as you get the sort of political stuff, Hornet and Cato spend the first half of the episode kind of tracking down this mad bomber type guy and following him around and and then learning who uh, is behind all of it and it's it's nicely done because uh, it's it I will say that that possibly this is one of those episodes that could have been benefited from being a little bit longer and having a little bit more of like Scanlan stuff in it because the, the way it goes is yeah you get Cornet and Cato follow this guy around and then they they learn who the bad guy is and then they put forward the theory of we're gonna have the Green Hornet do a bunch of crimes and uh, that'll make Scanlon look bad. We'll do one tonight at the bank, and then suddenly they're at the bank, and the, it's, the episode's over. And and I I didn't mind that it did that because I was never bored. But at the same time, I thought, ooh, I would have liked just a little more. Be- I guess what it comes down to now now which is what is Warren's the bad guy, right? Is I I just have yes, yes Warren, Warren is the the thing the thing about Warren, and and I guess. It's not a mystery per se when there's really only one. Well, I guess you might think it's Calvin too, but Calvin is so sort of he's a good, uh, seems a good guy. I don't I never thought he would have been behind this. And and so to me once the debate ends uh, it's it has to be the brother. And the thing I think the thing that sort of solidifies it for me is Mike so Mike says his thing and and Scanlon chastises him and 
and there's just a moment where um uh where I think Scanlan looks at Warren as he's talking to him and Calvin, and he says, yeah, Warren, you run his his um, campaign, and you're not the sort of person to, to go around killing people or, or putting bombs in people's cars. And the look Warren has on his face is, I am the kind of person who would kill people and put bombs in people's cars. I mean, he, his face is like, I kind <laughs> of would. So so it's never, you know, it, I don't think there's ever a moment where you're like, He's not the bad guy. It's just how much how much is his brother involved in it, and is he really doing this for his brother? And he's not. It's construction rackets again. There's a. I don't know how anything gets built in this town. And and seeing the the shape of the Daily Sentinel building, which as I've said before, always looks like Godzilla should be walking through it. Maybe all the buildings in this town are mm, kind of junk. I don't know, but. Yeah, I, 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 it's it's nice that, like you said, the political political intrigue is nice. Um, the 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 bomb blowing up the guy Quincy in the beginning, not that Quincy, um, in the beginning is uh <laughs> is rather shocking. I thought because you know something's going to happen because they linger, you know, like he he puts his hands on the steering wheel and we get a shot of that, and we get a shot of this, and we get a shot of that. But but there's just the moment he turns the ignition from underneath the glove compartment for a split second flame shoots out and it's all it's all in the same shot I, I doubt it's the actor uh but the stunt person who's in there you see them turn the ignition on like in like the foreground and the background for a split second fire shoots into the car or from under the glove compartment as it whoa and then the car blows up I was like wow that was wow that was that was something there but yeah i think um yeah may, maybe uh it could have done with a little more um a little more intrigued, but I think it's, I think I think it's a solid episode. I think it's a fun episode, and I do like the ending when Hornet is locked in the vault because spoiler, they don't die. You know, a bomb is placed there and they don't die. But I like the fact that for a split second you think that Warren has got him, but no, not quite, not quite. So, um, uh, what what else do you have about this? Uh, let's see. Oh, this one, um, may I say, this, this This one has my, uh, I mentioned it a, a episode or two back about the hornet sting and how it needs a silencer. But this one, has a, this one has a scene where they're going into the hideout of the bad guys and they're, they're trying to get through the door and I almost, and they use the hornet sting and they draw attention to themselves, which I'm not, I guess they meant to do. But it seems like if you're trying to sneak into a warehouse and find out what's going on, I guess they were going to beat the guys up anyways. But it just seems strange to me that, like, why not sneak into the warehouse? You know, like, take out a credit card, Hornet, and just do that thing where you put the credit card in and you jimmy it and the door opens. Do that. You don't always have to use the sting. You know, sneak in, sneak in, close, lock the door behind you, sneak in, and then jump those three guys and beat the crap out of them. You know, there's no... There's no need to draw attention to yourself. Oh, maybe that, I guess that's kind of his thing. But the moment they pulled out the sting, I thought, don't use the sting. Don't use, and then, and the bad guy's like, what was that? And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That, to me, is a time when you use the, um, now, the silencer. But when he's in, like, the bank vault and he uses it, that's a great moment to use it. That's like saying, watch this, kind of thing. But I don't know. I I, th- I thought that was a slightly weird moment because I thought they were trying because they, they spend the first half of the episode sneaking around following the guy and then when they've actually s- s- found him, they've actually got him to the place where yeah, they're going to meet the boss the big boss suddenly everything's loud eh, I guess to each their own at least they didn't use the rockets 
I guess. Should we use the sting or the rockets or the or the credit card? Mm, use the credit card. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. So I'm sorry. What else did you have? Well, speaking of the guy that they they initially contact there, his name's Starkey. There's a great line that Hornet has because he doesn't believe that Starkey's the one that's behind all of this. He just believes he's a hired hand. And there's this line that he said um, something like, "Even a fish that smells as bad as you has a head." Mm-hmm. implying that, you know, he's not the one in charge. And I just, I love that line because my first thought was, yeah, that guy looks like he smells like ring baloney. Like, <laughs> that he... <laughs> so it's probably more, it's probably not just a clever way of saying I don't think you're in charge, but it's also a, a comment <laughs> on the hygiene thing. <laughs> oh, my baloney has a first name. It's S-T-A-R-K-E-Y. Yeah. That that's that's a perfect smell for that guy. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I guess maybe maybe on a later episode we can discuss what we think everyone smells like. I know that um, <laughs> I I know exactly Miss Case Miss Case smells like lavender and velvet. Does what does velvet smell like? No, she smells like every nice cinnamon. Maybe she's got a little cinnamon. Some some really nice smell. Lilac. She's she's got yes. some lilac. Definitely some lilac. Yeah, that that smell that sort of you get the Proustian rush. But you don't always know where it's coming from. When you smell lilac, you're thinking of Miss Case, whether you realize it or not. But yeah, definitely. And I, I think Brit smells just like a good manly cologne. Yes. Yeah. Musk. He's got that musk scent. He's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I guess, I guess, you know, maybe I ought to do that from now on with the shows I discuss. I can do that with like Bourbon Street Beat or Ellery Queen, discuss what they smell like. I think Ellery smells like just like soap, like he's just like he's just showered or something. I think he smells clean. I don't think he put on cologne, but his yeah, father he, might. I, I think he's got like a, a like a natural like spiciness to him. Oh, yeah. I think just a very light, mm-hmm. yeah, clean little I, spiciness. Yeah, and I think Vili probably always smells like he has a little too much cologne on, but it's not bad because it's Vili. He's a big burly guy. What are you going to tell him to stop? He'll pick you up, throw you yeah. throw you across the room. Uh, so, uh, so that's that's our character smells, I guess. Well, maybe we'll do a mini sode called Character Smells, where we try to do that. Um, but yeah, you're right, baloney, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it's Starkey and his baloney. <laughs> uh, what else do you have here? Let's see. Um, let's see. Um, oh, did you notice in the warehouse where they were meeting that some of the boxes there were from Barton's Air Service? I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep, they didn't. Like, uh, There's a nice bit of continuity. I would have thought that would have gone out of business, but apparently not. Yeah, maybe, maybe um, in order to like pay for legal costs or something, they had to sell all their empty boxes from the warehouse. We got tons of empty boxes. <laughs> if, if, if you if you face them sort of in, you don't see the logo because it's only on one side. Actually, I don't know if it's only on one side. And I do like the um, uh, there, there's a moment during the fight where. Um, Hornet is leaping across some empty boxes, and the boxes say "keep dry and cool." I thought there's what the air inside. You keep 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 air dry and cool. I I like that they they bothered <laughs> to put some. Yeah, I'm just watching the, the fight now. It's going here and here. There's Cato's beating the crap out of this guy. <laughs> hey, poor guy. Oh, keep dry and cool. Yep. I guess that's maybe maybe that isn't for what's in the boxes. Maybe that is advice for the people in the warehouse. That could be. It's that good advice. Be. It's good advice. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Yeah, Jack Starkey, and I do like that Starkey. He he plants 
sort of t- two bombs and one gets the wrong person and then one doesn't go off as according to planned and he's like I, I guess I don't know how do you check the um uh, you know how do you check like when you hire a mad bomber how do you how do you check their do they have a resume or something <laughs> Yeah. What, yeah. How do you how do you check their credentials? Do you have a demonstration here? Blow up this junker for me. How would you yeah. How would you rig this old card to go up? Yeah. I I I wonder if there's like a like a dark web like LinkedIn probably where you go on and you you get yourself a mad bomber. I'm just looking for a mad bomber to blow up a car. Oh yeah. That's you want you want Starkey. Yeah. You. How will I know him? Oh, you'll know him. You'll know him. Yeah. <laughs> follow very, your nose. Just, just follow your nose. It always knows. Uh, let's see. And yeah, I and I do like as you mentioned earlier the the fact that the the issue is brought up because this isn't something you, you uh, that they kind of would really have to mention on a show back then. But just the fact that Scanlan is brought to task for not catching the Green Hornet, and Scanlan's oh we're gonna get on it, we're gonna do that kind of thing. But yeah, that is um, if if uh, if Ryland had gone in. The Green Hornet may would have lost his uh, his his best connection to being able to do all the crazy crap that he does. Let's see, Hornet. Yeah, Hornet. yeah. I kind of uh, like that aspect that that it was really important for Scanlan to win because that's the only way Green Hornet was going to continue to operate and therefore mm-hmm. keep the city safe. So there was there was a little extra, um, you know, uh, tension there mm-hmm. from that. See Dave Quincy. Uh, I'm just scanning my notes here, folks. And you probably won't hear this, folks. I'll probably edit this out, but it's, it's okay. I can ask Kristen, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm, uh, I'm scanning my. For some reason, I must have run down a little bit here because I don't have as many notes for this one as I as I normally do. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't either. Okay. Let's see. Let's uh, try to come up. Try to come up with one more thing it's... each. Here, let's see. What do we got? Quincy. Uh, I guess. Do you, Do you want okay. to talk about the uh, the ending? Do you want to talk about the ending? Kind of spoil it a bit. I mean. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's come. Well, up with... we spoiled everything, so. Yeah, let's do. So, if you want to, if you want to, <laughs> okay. just uh, mention the ending. Okay, so the ending is um, uh, Warren there has planted a bomb in in this bank that he's set Green Hornet up to rob because Green Hornet's going to go on a crime spree. Uh, right before the election, and that will help seal the election for Calvin. But what uh, Hornet isn't supposed to know is that he's rigged this bomb uh, in the bank. So when it goes off at midnight or whatever, Hornet will be first captured by Calvin, but then the bomb will go off and then he'll be blown up, I guess, so he won't tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. That part was a little hinky to me. So they capture him in the bank falls, uh, they bring Warren brings Calvin in and says, "See, look here, you captured the Green Hornet. You're gonna totally win now. We have to leave." <laughs> and he's like, "Why? What's going on?" And Green Hornet's like, "Oh, you're in on this too." And Calvin is in the friggin' dark. He is an innocent, innocent lamb. And so the Warren's about to lose his mind because this bomb is about to go off and he tries to leave but Cato stops him and then he ends up hiding under the desk <laughs> like it was like one of those air raid drills you used to do as a kid yes, yes. those nuclear nuclear air raid drills 
and and then the, the bomb doesn't go off. And then his goons run in because they're sitting outside waiting for this. And my brain, of course, is just ridiculous. And it, immediately they're like, something's wrong. And so they go running in. And I'm like, yes, where's the kaboom? There's supposed to be an earth-shattering <laughs> kaboom. Thank you, Marvin the Martian. Thank you, Marvin. <laughs> so they run in, and there's a there's a fight. And it ends up being Cal, uh, Calvin that calls the police on his brother. Yes. Because yeah. he won't stand. He's just – he is far too pure – to stand for this tomfoolery, and he will, he will, he recuses himself from the race, and he, uh, and he does, he turns in his brother. So, and th- there is a lovely moment when uh, Hornet and Cato are standing there with Calvin, and Calvin sort of realizes what his brother has done, and Calvin picks up the phone, and Cato and, and Green Hornet are looking at Calvin, and then Hornet just says like, "Let's go," and Calvin gives him one last look, they give him one last look, and Hornet and Cato leave. And Calvin is, hey, no, come back. No, he's like, okay, I think I get what's going on here. And whether or not, whether or not he thinks Green Hornet is a good guy pretending to be bad or whether he just thinks, well, whatever just happened here was my brother and he tried to um, incriminate yeah. the Hornet. So I'm going to, I'm going to let him go. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's almost kind of like he, he has this moment of understanding of why it's so difficult for Scanlon to catch him now because yes. he's operating in a gray area. At mm-hmm. this point, and it's and it's wonderful because when when Hornet does get caught in the vault, you're like, oh crap! And then the time is approaching, and the clock time is approaching. Then it's it's wonderful because the time passes, and it's like, yeah, we found the bomb and defused it. And then he holds up the Hornet sting and blows open the door of the vault. So he's like, we were in complete control the whole time. And here's Bruce Lee. You know, it's like I'm already in complete control, and I have Bruce Lee. You know, it's 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 fantastic. You know, it's like I have I I bought you the best cake ever. And I've got your favorite ice cream kind of thing. You know, it's like <laughs> everyone wins here, except the bad guys who lose, and they should lose. Um, yes. Yeah, I really like this scene. Uh, because, but but you're right, though. There is something kind of hinky about the timing because it's we're going to go in there at midnight or 12 or noon or mid. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was midnight. Wasn't it, was, it dark? It was midnight. Oh. It was midnight. Yeah, it was midnight. We're going to go in mid at midnight, and we're going to catch the Hornet trying to break in. And we have a bomb set to go off at 12.02. So literally his plan is, okay, we go in at midnight. There's the Hornet. Let's get out of here. You know, and, and thinking that his brother won't do something like, what's going on? What's happening? Why do we need to get out of here so quick? Yeah, it is kind of, maybe I would have set it for 12.05 or something just to give a little leeway. You know, when you got a bomb that's going to blow up, you know, a side of a building, you know, give yourself, if you can, an extra minute. But... Uh, there, and I, I, the the one thing that confused me is that maybe I don't understand clocks as well as I should. But the second the 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 second hand that goes around isn't like the thick end, the end that points tells you what time it is, like like it's got the thick end and then it gets thinner as it turns, you know, as it goes, you know, the, the actual hand itself. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not I'm not a crazy person, am I? Or am I? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh well, so so you look at you're looking at the clock, yeah. and you got the sec the red second hand that's going around and around, yeah. and um uh and and it basically one side is shorter than the other, and the the side that's longer is sort of long and thin, mm-hmm. and the other side kind of is thin and then gets thicker at the end. I always thought the thicker end was that when like that hit twelve, that was the top of the minute. And oh, the, I the, thought it was the longer end. Oh, okay, yeah, because that's what it is in this episode. And I sat there, I, I sat there looking at the 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 the, um, the 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 shorter end, and going, oh, they got a minute left. 
Oh, they, oh no, wait, we're looking at the other end. Oh, and I thought, I, and I suddenly realized I've been looking at clocks wrong all these years. Have I? Oh no. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up because I I always I always thought I thought because I I always thought like the shorter end because it was sort of a thicker that was meant to point sort of but then no you're right too the thinner end but I I don't know these this is one of those things you know you you get raised in a world where you learn all kinds of things and then every once in a while people don't explain how a clock works to you so <laughs> you know so but but you know it was what it was in here. Um, and uh, yeah, so the yeah the, the closing scene is pretty uh, sweet in this one, and um, I think that's all I have. Um, I do like that. Um, I do. Uh, we do hope that since Calvin isn't going to be district attorney, he'll be he'll be happy uh, going back to his job as commissioner of public works. And I thought, is anyone happy as commissioner <laughs> of public works? I mean, is that a yeah. job that screams happiness? That's like being a comptroller. You know, I don't even know what that is. I'm not sure. I want to say it has something to do with money, but it's not quite treasury because, mm-hmm. you know, my state has both. Okay. I don't know how other states work. I know mine. Most people are corrupt in my state. It's Illinois. Our governors go to jail on a regular basis. So, uh, but we have both, and I think they're both money related. Okay. All right, so so I guess the two things um, we want you folks to do is uh, look up Comptroller and which end of the second hand of a clock tells you what actual time it is, as opposed to, you know, it should be one, one, one is 30 seconds behind the other. One is the right time, one is 30 seconds behind. Which one is which? Because they could have had an extra 30 seconds here and the bomb could have gone off. You know, that that's what I was thinking was going to happen, but I'm, I'm a jerk. So uh, do you have any trivia? Yes, I have a, a bit of trivia, and it's a, it's quite intertwined, so bear with me. Oh, so okay. first of all, uh, Cal- Calvin Ryland, he was played by my favorite, Harold Gould, and most okay. people probably know him as Miles from the Golden Girls. Um, but he was in one of my favorite, or three of my favorite, uh, Hawaii Five-O episodes. He plays Anori Vachon in the V for Vachon trilogy. So he's no stranger to having horrible relatives because his son in that the in the first episode is just absolutely terrible and totally deserved to be shot. Fight me on that. Um, so I won't. And uh, his the, <laughs> the guy who plays his brother Warren is Lyndon Childs, and um, he was also in an episode of Hawaii Five O. Uh, called Chain of Events, which they don't show um, in syndication because I think it has to do with venereal disease. So, oh. whoops. Um, this season five Ooh, right down there. episode. <laughs> but it's interesting because he was in that episode um, with a very young Dirk Benedict. Mm. Then he turned around and he was on an episode of the A Team in season five called Alive at Five, also with Dirk Benedict. And one more Dirk Benedict connection. Um, one of the guards in this episode, he was in the movie. Um, well. I think is how they pronounce it. It's the S. Oh, sure. It's the snake movie yeah, where they yeah, turn yeah. Dirk Benedict into a snake. Awesome. So lots of Dirk Benedict connections in this episode. And that is my trivia. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap uh, this one up. Uh, and where, where where can we find you online? You can find me at my blog, KikiWritesAbout.com. Um, you can find all my rerun junkie posts there, my regular posts, links to my Patreon. You can buy me a coffee. Um, I've got something called Writing for Tips there. There's links to all of my published work. And if you need my random trivia connections any time of the day, you can follow me on Twitter at KikiWrites. Thank you so much again. And I, I just, before I go, I'm just looking at my notes one more time, and I just, 
the, the the scene I want everyone to watch again is just that scene where Scanlan says, Warren, you're not the kind of guy who kills people or puts bombs in people's cars. And just look at Warren's face because he's doing that thing where, like, on, on the outside, he's really like, mm, yes. But on the inside, you know, he's like, I do do that <laughs> kind of thing. And it's 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 hilarious. I mean, you can really see it. So I'm going to I'm going to stop there and we're going to wrap this episode up. And, and whatever's up next is up next. Thank you, everyone. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Bourbon Street Beat, episode 34. Green Hell, May 30th, 1960. Boy, I wish it was May 30th, 1960 right now. Uh, I, I don't know if that was a good day or not, but um, I, I imagine... Yeah, so <laughs> let that ride. Uh, the, so directed by Charles Rondeau. Charles R. Rondeau. Uh, Teleported by L. C. Ward and W. Hermanos. Story by Tom Grease and L. C. Award. This one is uh, Rex goes down to a South American country. Yes, he has. He has been in a San Ramos. What, what a few episodes ago. He, and and it's actually we'll mention it, but it, that episode is mentioned. So there is even though this is W Hermanos, there is a continuity to it, which is lovely. But he is sent down there because it is a country. Uh, where the presidente um, his his plane crashed in the the water like the river like I don't know if that's quite the Amazon River but it's deep in the jungle and I always think of Amazon when when I think of of that um, and uh, the guy who wants to take over this country is mounted an expedition to find the wreckage. Why? Mm. There could there's there's talk of some sort of rebel list of rebels that and I I'd hate to think that they're doing this big thing to find a random sheet of paper sitting in a crashed airplane in the middle of the Amazon. But um, you know that but that's kind of what it is. And, and Rex joins up with a whole bunch of different people, including a German uh, nuclear physicist, uh, to go out there to these piranha infested waters and try to find this thing and. Yeah, it's it's basically it's it's a jungle thing, jungle quest in deep in there to try to find some wreckage and this, that, and the other, and what are they up to and what's going on. Rex is trying to pretending to be a newspaper man and going go to find it out. It's um, it's one of those episodes that, in one respect, because of the W Hermanos thing and the fact that it isn't set anywhere near Bourbon Street, apart from the very beginning, the very end, you would sort of say, this isn't a Bourbon Street beat episode. <clears throat> but it is a Bourbon Street Beat episode. That's why I'm talking about it. If it was a random episode of something, I wouldn't be talking about it. So it is a Bourbon Street Beat episode, regardless of what W. Hermanos um, and and the writer strike has done to it. Think of it as like, sorry, ooh, a bunch of hummingbirds are chasing each other around in front of my window right here. Um, think of it as like I was going to say, um, Roxy music. In what Roxy Music, their first album came out in what was it, seventy two, and they were very prog rocky, but with a kind of a glam um uh to them. And um 
And from what, 72 to 75, they released five albums in quick succession, which are all awesome. I, For Your Pleasure, Roxy Music, Siren, Country Life, and Stranded. Was it Stranded? Um, and they were great. And then they broke up and went their separate ways, did their separate things. But then in 78, they re, um, reformed-ish and released an album called Monument? Monolith? Micronauts, I forget what it is, it began with an M. And then in 1980, they did uh, the, this this group did flesh, uh, one called Flesh and Blood, or, uh, and then in 82, they did Avalon. Now, Avalon is a really lovely album, but the thing about those albums is the moment I bought those albums when they were remastered like 20 years ago or something, I bought them in order and listened to them in order, having never heard Roxy Music apart from on Supernatural Fairy Tales Rhino CD box set, prog rock box set. And I listened to the albums in order. And by the time I got to Siren, the fifth one, I was absolutely in love with the band. And then like a week later, I went out and I bought Monument, Monolith, Microsoft. I, I don't know what the hell the name of the album was, but I remember buying it, sitting there for 40, 40, 40 42 minutes and, and getting to the end and going, that's not Roxy music. But it is Roxy music because I'm looking at the disc and it says, I mean, you you might compare it, and I, I hate to continue the prog rock thing, but you might compare it to say like, yes, 90125 or Jethro Tull under wraps. I'm not going to do Genesis because Genesis, their first album was very pop. And, and to say they never embraced pop until the early 80s is is baloney. But it's one of those things where, you know, you, you have a certain thing that you love. You know, I'm not going to say like like Springsteen never did a synth pop album. I, I was try, trying to think of some other uh, um, things. Ooh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> if you've heard this band... Um, Congrats. Their first album came out in 70. The last album came out in 80. Gentle Giant. They started in 1970, and they were their first three albums were produced by Tony Visconti, who's, who's a, a, a producer's name you might recognize. And they were very prog rock. And as the early 70s progressed, they got stranger and stranger and weirder and weirder, up until around 77, when suddenly they began backing away from it and becoming more pop and rock and pop and rock. And they released three albums at the end of the 70s, start of the 80s, Missing Peace, John for a Day, and Civilian. Which, like, if you listen to, say, their second album, Acquiring the Taste, and listen to, say, Giant for a Day, apart from recognizing the singer, you'd think, this is the same band? And you listen to Civilian, their 1980 album, and go, this is the same band? Kind of thing, but it is the same band, regardless of what it is. So we have to absorb. We have to take it all in as we do it. So... And I'm sure we probably mention this as as we talk, but I just want to mention here that it's it's funny that in I, I'm actually fairly certain I say this, but in a show that we're so far along to have it so different from what we've enjoyed for so many episodes is very interesting, entertaining, eh, but interesting. Bourbon Street Drinks. The Monster from Green Hell. No, this is not the Jim Davis film, The Monster from Green Hell, which is a wonderfully, is stultifying a good word to describe it? I don't know. Um, a wonderfully, um, uh, uh, gosh, you, you can feel the entropy of the universe spreading over you when you watch Monster from Green Hell. 
Green Hell, the Bourbon Street Beat episode, is a little feistier. Thank goodness. Uh, so this, we are, whoa, we are 34 episodes in, and this is the fifth W. Hermanos episode. The strike continues, and Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. or Mademoiselle Hermanos continues to write. Senora Hermanos continues to write. Yes. yes. And hey, who was that, everyone? <laughs> it's Mitchell Hadley. Mitchell, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Dan? Doing okay. I, um... I, 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 it, it's interesting now that I, I, I um, our, our, our good friend Mike, uh, when he explained to us um, what, who W. Hermanos was, the W. Hermanos episodes now have been, um, at least the, 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 up to, up to this point, have been, have been pretty good. One of them really stunk up the joint. I, I can't say they're, they're as good as when W. Hermanos is not involved. But it's it's almost, I mean it's damage control. They're they're trying to get the show out, um, you know, uh, without writers. <laughs> so 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 if they can just do something that's entertaining, that's that's worthwhile. So um, so e- I go into each episode like like before the W Hermano stuff. I was I'm really into it. Even like a week episode, the interaction between the main cast and such would um, pull me through. But now it's trickier because they're doing more of a. You know, when the Virginian became the men from Shiloh and it suddenly became like an anthology with like one of the main guys in a different location every week. Now, they used to do that earlier in the Virginian, but they all had the ranch to go to. Um, and, and so but the men from Shiloh, I quite liked this is a, this can get a little iffier. What, what did you think of Green Hill? Well, I think that um, I think that you're right about this. It's taking us out of New Orleans again. Mm-hmm. Which is the one of the biggest assets of the series, and I remember when we first started discussing this show, almost every week we'd be pointing out the importance of the location. It was almost as if it were um, uh, another character, because you had these gothic situations and these weird old families and uh, Mardi Gras and different things happening that were, if not specific to New Orleans, that it couldn't have happened anywhere else. At least it was filled with the color of the setting. But now we are seeing um, our heroes going kind of far afield here. And uh, in a way, in a way, this episode struck me as being much more at home on uh, 77 Sunset Strip, another WB episode Mm -hmm. or a series, because in in that series, if you've seen it, um, you'll know that uh, Stu Bailey, Ephraim Zimbalist's character, frequently, not not often, but frequently will find himself out of the country on a particular type of assignment. And uh, Jeff Spencer, his, his partner, will also occasionally find himself out of the country it happens more with Stu because he's a a former I think he was in the OSS in World War II he's a linguist he has a a past with the government and occasionally they will ask him to do a job and I suspect occasionally somebody will get a referral to use him based on that but Stu will find himself from time to time out of the country and this seems to be that kind of an of of a of a stretch of episodes where you've got um, Rex out of the country, he is um, 
uh, it's hard to say exactly what what his his job is here because the sands keep shifting under his feet. This is a, a story that's filled with political intrigue. It's got plot twists. It has people who are good guys but who might instead be bad guys or maybe they really are actually good guys or possibly they're both good and bad guys we're not sure and it it's not it's not because it is confused writing although it can be a little difficult sometimes to keep up with the plot uh, but it is it is that we're we're in in an unnamed South American country, I I would suspect, and and it's the various Machiavellian machinations of people battling for control of 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 a country and trying to figure out if they should be uh, uh, doing a little tete-a-tete with a uh, a Nazi war criminal who's on the run, and um, Again, one of the things we've talked about with the Hermanos episodes is that you're, you're looking at uh, episodes that have been taken from other sources, either other TV series or movies. And I, I wonder if, again, this might have been based on a longer script because uh, there's a lot going on in terms of the of the sides in this. And it does make it a little hard to keep straight who's doing what and what the motives are and where i found myself uh turning to my wife and saying now why did they do that was it because of this or was it because of that and it might not have been quite as complicated if it in its original format it might have i don't know but i wonder if that if that's the case uh nonetheless it it, it it's not as interesting as what happens in new orleans but it's still uh, eminently serviceable. I think that's I, I would <clears throat> I would say of the W. Hermanos episodes, <clears throat> my, my my least favorite has been that stink bomb in the boys' reformatory. <laughs> um, this is probably my second least favorite. Yeah. I like it. I like it more than I mean, like the boys. I just thought that was like the, there was there was nothing in that. Uh, I I just I just thought. Um, this this is this is tricky. I, I will say, I I love a good jungle story. I love a good good time in the jungle. I love a Tarzan movie. I'm a big fan of the the '50s show, Soldiers of Fortune. Oh yes, yes. which is super fun. And about half of those are in jungles. Well, I, I was like, hoping that there was either a swamp or some quicksand or something in this episode because I know how much that appeals to you. Piranha is pretty good. Piranha, and these are the awesome piranha who like you take two steps into the lake and they you're dead, and they like they 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 eat your ankles and you drop in the water and you're there's no way you could t- there's so much I like the thought that like the piranha they're like a hundred piranha like just sitting literally like on on the shoreline there like like right on the water and they're like come on come on I see boots <laughs> and they all go. Well, it's very cartoonish, and I don't mean that in the the critical sense that it usually is. But you can imagine these these fish just below the surface with their mouths open and their teeth yes, exposed. And after about two seconds, you're right. The man's leg turns to something like you'd see a chicken bone. Yes, and and, and then he just and he can't stand on yeah. it. Yeah, falls over. And that's I it. Mean, it. It just calls to mind those kinds of images. It, it, and it's it, it's that sort of thing too, where um, 
it's it's a very quick way to resolve a couple of things. Because once you see the piranha do it once, you know that someone's probably going to go in there later. Mm-hmm. And once they do, it's done. And I was just thinking of um, the the first show I covered on Eventually Super Train Cliffhangers. One of the segments of Stop Susan Williams has a fantastic bit where, um, if I'm remembering it correctly, where they're like Susan and that that roguish gentleman with the big mustache that she's traveling with, and like a scientist or something. They're in a rowboat in the middle of like a, the Amazon, and there's like a rope strung out across the the river, and the boat is sinking, and the piranha are all like smashing up against the boat and so they all have to leap up and grab the rope before the boat sinks and the piranha gets it to me that's how you do it yeah that's how you do piranha because that was and that was the cliffhanger of that episode and that's how you do it you it contrived oh hell yeah but the, all those things are contrived that's the point you sure. know it's, it's it's like there's a rope we got to the rope who put the rope there who cares the rope is, <laughs> it doesn't matter it's part of the fun but but I do like that, like because the first time you encounter the piranha, a guy basically steps like up to his thighs, maybe in the water, and all of a sudden it's like ah, and he, he's dead. Ten seconds later, <laughs> I don't know the piranha work like that. I um, but if they do, geez, Louise, <laughs> stay out of that water. <laughs> Holy moly! I I prefer quicksand because um, I think it would be. Um, much more pleasant. Um, you know, it's like, okay, if you got to go, you got to go. They say drowning is um, one of the more pleasant ways to go. And you're drowning with sand is and water, you know. And, but, but being eaten alive by a bun- bunch of monstrous little things, no, no way, Jose. And that's me tying it back to sort of South American kind of things right there at the end of that. I, I like that they they do say... Uh, and this is W. Hermanos doing some continuity, which you didn't see a lot of back then, that the guy who comes to Rex to get him to go to wherever it is he goes to um, basically says, uh, because you did that thing a few episodes, he doesn't say episode. Maybe he does. I, I didn't write it down. You you uh, you did that thing a little while ago at San Marco. We want you to come. And San Marco was actually like involved with this. So they yes. actually kind of write it in, which is kind of neat continuity because that was just like what one two three four episodes ago so that that's kind of neat continuity they, they do that it's 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 also the sort of it's also the sort of continuity where you like that they did that but you're also like well they didn't really have to do that it's like if you watch an episode of doctor who where like um uh there, there's an episode i think uh called the awakening with peter davison from the 21st season where the doctor finds a bit of this squishy metal and he says, oh, this is from the Tin Clavic Mines on Somewhere or Other, which is a reference to where the Pteroleptals in a story two seasons ago, The Visitation, came from. And there's no reason for that to be there. It's just a fun little reference. Mm-hmm. And if you're a nerd and you want to tie the universe together, there's another thing that ties stuff together. But it's also a thing where, like, you didn't you didn't have to do that. But I'm glad you did. Yeah. Because they didn't really do that back then. So, um, so my yeah, my thoughts on the episode are that um, it was... Um, there, I think there are too many people and there are too many machinations going on. And my thing is at this point in the series, 34 episodes in, my focus is on one of our main characters. And the thing is that, um, Rex, 
I was a little confused as to what Rex was supposed to be doing there. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he alternates between really getting into it and really being blasé about it. And, um, and, and this is like, you know, like Cal gave it his all when he was in that boys reformatory, there was just nothing to give here. Rex is kind of, um, at sometimes he's given it his all. Um, and other times he's sort of like, eh. And, and so it's, it, I, I just got that feeling on occasion. Um, so, sometimes he's really like when he's chatting, when he's, you know, at the, at the ending and when he's talking with the, the Nazi about what he's up to and things like that. But there were a few moments where it almost felt like he was like, I'm just sauntering through this one. I'm not really going to give it my all. Uh, now, I can't say that that's what happened. But that's kind of like, I, I felt at times that, that he wasn't fully, uh, Mr. Long wasn't fully into it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. But, but b- because, because I was able to, fo- like the previous episode, um, uh, Cal is always in there and, and in it. So even when that episode got a little like, what? What's happening? I could focus on him. Here, here there were times, like there's, there's a sequence where, and I, and I guess it's, I don't know if it was meant to be amusing or what it was, where um, they're in the middle of the jungle and the guides, too many characters in the episode, sorry. Um, and, and when there's like a twister rooney with a couple of the characters near the end, I had to sort of rewind it a little bit and go, wait a minute, what, who is that? Yeah, oh, wait yeah. a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and when, when like the final reveal of what it's all about is happening, I was like, wait a minute. I, I, I actually missed that. I watched it twice. I missed that reveal the first time I watched it. Because there's something like what it is there kind of after. The second time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's what they're after. I, I don't know why I missed it the first time. Um, but I I don't remember what I was saying. Something great, I bet. Oh, no, it was. No, there, there's a scene where. He, and so the, the guides are distributing these little boxes that have their rations in it or their, their meal. And I know, you know, I was a Boy Scout. I've eaten junk that was like. Ooh, dehydrated food, no way, baby. We had we had one kid, Mike Clark. Uh, oh, was it his brother John? I forget. Who, whenever we'd go on like big week long canoeing trips, like up in the lakes of Canada and stuff like that, he loved the dehydrated food. And after like five days, I said, Mike or John, you like you're really diving into that dehydrated beef stroganoff. My mom makes beef stroganoff. This is nothing like that. Oh no! This is like exactly like how my my mom makes it. Mm, this is fantastic. And he would just like, I don't know, are you serious? And he was like, Yeah. And so 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 this food reminds you of your mom's cooking. Yeah. Does your mom make dehydrated food for you? No, not that I know of. Uh, you should ask her. Ask her and get back to me because I think you're nuts. And then I went swimming. Um, <laughs> but that that was it. Just I, oh, dehydrated food. That's something. But they get these little packets and they, they open up the box and they and there's a scene where Rex is talking to some guy. I, I don't know. I've forgotten. One of the guys. Um, I think one of the guys who's on his side. I got, yeah, like I said, I got lost. But he's sitting there. So they're in the jungle. They're in the jungle. They're in South America in the jungle. And he's, and he p- takes something out of the box and he takes a bite, looks at it, throws it away and keeps talking. Then he takes something else out, and he does it again. And then he, like, throws out half of the food in the box. I don't mean to be rude, but, like, if you're running a marathon and you get to a certain point 
at, you get I don't I, I've, I've never run a marathon but you get a certain amount of miles in and someone hands you a cup of Gatorade you don't look at it and go you know this isn't Mountain Blue or I don't know what the t- this is a fruit punch I'm not drinking this and throw it away and keep running no you drink it because you need to stay hydrated because you need to eat because you're in a jungle you don't throw away the food they give the food they're giving you unless it's poisoned unless it's like something where it's like he thinks it's poisoned. You need to eat the food. I don't care how bad. we. I ate the dehydrated food. It tasted like, why did I eat the dehydrated food? Because we would canoe for 15 to 20 miles a day. That could be exaggerating. It was more, probably more like 10. But <laughs> we, would, we would canoe all day long in the hot sun, stop on an island, put up our tents, then they make dehydrated food. And I didn't sit there and go, I'm not eating this. Order, get me a pizza. There must be someone. You know, you ate the food because you had to. You don't throw away. And so during that scene, I'm like, uh, you know, that's not like Rich, a Richard Long thing specifically, but that's like a character thing where it's like, why would he be doing that? That just seems weird to me. I mean, I guess it's comedy, but it doesn't, it seems weird to me. Well, he's not just in a jungle. He's in green hell. Exactly. And Jim Davis and the giant grasshoppers are, are over the hill. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um... As I say, it, it's it's a fun episode. Don't don't get us wrong here. It's 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 entertaining, like the series has been from the very beginning. But uh, in the interests of of being an honest critic here, um, it is difficult to make sense of it. And um, I again, I I I'll just repeat myself that I can't help but think that this might have come from a heftier um, yes. a screenplay and we're getting the Cliff's Notes version of the story. Mm-hmm. Now having having said all that uh, I think it's interesting. I have very few notes on this so I'm pretty much going with what yeah, I've got too. here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rex is supposed, is supposed to be playing a um, a newspaper reporter. That's mm-hmm. his in to be going on the journey into Green World Hell. News Press. Yes. yes. And um he's he's very abrasive. He he's not if 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 the goal of the newspaper man is to win friends and influence people, he's not following that. My wife suggested he's more like he's out of the front page of the, the hard nosed kind of newspaper yes. man. Yeah. And I'll go along with that. But um what what is interesting about it is that the Rex's antagonist, uh, Major Hernandez, has a very dim view of the press. And, and in fact, I would say that he hates the press even more than Donald Trump does, So, uh, which gives you some idea of the antagonism yes. here. And again, then you go through a period of time where you're thinking, well, maybe Hernandez isn't the bad guy after all, or maybe he isn't all bad. But then you have another spell where, well, I guess he is that bad. Uh, yes. So that is, is again, the kind of thing that I think would work better in a longer story than it does in this. Yes. And, and again, I think that there are places where it is... Um, I, I think more evident than not that this wasn't originally written for Rex's character. Yeah, yeah, I, I think um, it's 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 definitely if you like the show, it's not going to uh, it's 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 only going to cause you pain if you I think you try to sort everything out. I I, I think we said this with the last one, but it's almost one where you just need to. Um, 
Just watch them go. Watch them do whatever. And if, if people with guns, people point guns at Rex, they're probably bad guys. If people are running around trying to grab papers or something like that, that's probably what everyone's after. You know, you should maybe, mm-hmm. there, hits a, there hits a point sort of dramatically, like maybe two-thirds of the way through this, or maybe even earlier, where I was just like, I just gave it up. Gave me too. Not in, a, not, not, in a, not in a bad way, not like a, I gave I just it put up, the computer you know, I, down. I couldn't make any more notes. There was no, yes, it, no percentage in it. Yeah, my last note, geez. Oh, throwing away the food was my last note, and that's like <laughs> half an hour into the episode. I mean, it's, it's literally sometimes the, the episode's kind of, I don't, I, I don't think stymie you is, is the way to describe it quite, but, but it's like, sometimes the episodes just come up and like, well, what can you say about it? Yeah. They go in a jungle and there's a bunch of people scheming against a bunch of other people. And then it's revealed what they're after. And then piranha eat the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, spoiler. So, sorry, everyone. Yeah. You, you, you figured that folks. I mean, piranha was gonna do it. I mean, cause the quicksand, the guy, the bad guy always falls in the quicksand, you know, and, and you know, it's the same thing here. You know? Yes. We have not, we have not told you who the piranha. Eat. Yes. Yes, and to be honest, I can't remember the names of. <laughs> no, I'm I could sure if I, could I looked. If I if I uh, switched my screen over to uh, the IMDb, I could tell you who they are. But it's we'll it, leave it. It's not important. Yes. Trust us, it's not no, important. I mean, it's it's almost like um, can an entire episode be a MacGuffin? Can everything in an episode be a MacGuffin? Mm, you're on to something. I mean, it could, could it could it be just like the the purpose of this is to entertain, just to entertain, nothing more, nothing political. I'm, I'm suddenly I'm doing Doctor Who again, <laughs> Carnival of Monsters. That's the purpose. We're just here to entertain, nothing nothing political, nothing you know, nothing like that. Um, but um, uh, uh, but but it's it's almost like you watch an episode like this, and it's like it's what is what is that that movie um. Uh, rock climbing is it Lost Continent from that they yes. watched an MST so yes, long it ago? Is. Mm-hmm. Where it's like they spend half the movie climbing rocks, and who the hell, pardon my French, knows what's going on? And in the end, it's just like it ends. You know, it's like maybe, maybe it's the the point of it is the journey. You know, uh, you know, there are some snakes in this. A guy falls in a pit. Um, they're piranha. They're who knows? Let's call this the MacGuffin episode and let it ride. <laughs> what, what else? Do you, do you have anything else on this? Or Mitchell? I, I'm out I of notes. I literally don't. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, I wrote down the Republic of Podella? Podea? Is that the where they are? That could be it. One or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, uh, so uh, let's... Um, We'll wrap this one up, folks. Yeah, it's um, if you like Bourbon Street Beat, you'll you know you will enjoy seeing um, Rex in this. Although, as I said, I it's not Rex at his best. They, I think, I think the characterization just feels off to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, just like this is not quite the Rex um, I've grown to love over over all the episodes. This this doesn't seem like a Rex to me who would have like ran into that warehouse as some strange man was shooting at him in the last episode. Well, seems like let alone being a Rex who would be uh, cooking up his latest uh, sensational yes. meal. Yes, exactly, yeah. So I'm going to ask you two things, uh, Mitchell, and, and the first thing, you don't have to respond if you don't have an answer, but I just had a thought about it. And the second thing I would like you to respond to, um, and one of them might involve if you're wearing pants. I'm kidding. Mitchell always, one of the rules <laughs> of eventually Super Train is that uh, pants or skirts are required. Um, and maybe Mitchell's wearing a skirt. 
hey, the legs on that boy, huh? I'm sorry, Mitchell. So, um, so let me let me do this. So, two two questions, and then we will we we are done with Green Hell. We are going to go on to whatever the heck it is, whatever the heck is on up next. We're going two to things. Algiers. We're going. Oh, we're going to Algiers in the next one, folks. Oh, yeah, I know. I was surprised too. So, um, one here's the one you don't have to answer. Okay. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you them both, and then you respond. Okay. Uh, please, please, sir. Um, first, what does your wife think of the episode? Second, where can we find you online? Okay, I'll, I'll answer the second one first. You can find me at itsabouttv.com, I-T-S-A-B-O-U-T-T-V.com. Um, second, what what did she think of the episode? I would say that that she would be in agreement with us on this, that she likes this series a lot. She's sorry to see the number of episodes running down but that this probably was not the example of the show that you would want to uh, show to yes. someone to get them interested in it i think the w hermanos thing is historically it's pretty interesting mm-hmm. i just feel bad that we encountered it about three quarters of the way through a show that we were really loving. Better at the I, end than the beginning, though, yes, because there won't yeah. be any. Uh, we won't be yes. on this record length of uh, analysis here if we're at the beginning yes. of it. Yeah, we would have been really uh, bothered, I think, mm-hmm. if this had been mm-hmm. at the start of it. So, so um, that is uh, whatever we're talking. Green Hell, everyone, welcome to Green Hell, and um, uh, let us go on to this. And that's the episode, everyone. Thank you for listening. And yes, I did goof the Erie, Indiana thing. I'm looking here. Episode 4, which was the fourth episode, The Losers, was October 6, 91. Then the next episode that airs was October 20th, 91, America's Scariest Home Videos, which was the sixth one. So that means on the 13th, it was preempted. And it aired in some spots, but not in others. And, and Wikipedia doesn't actually have that listed. And Oh... That would have been much better if we had put broken record in there. And I apologize. That was um I didn't I didn't see that. I didn't I didn't realize I should realize that. Um Yeah, especially when you when you just heard me in this episode talking about the, the next Shadow Chasers we're gonna talk about, which um and the Fresno episode. So yeah. So what I'd like to do before we wrap this up is I wanna have a couple minutes with Mike. Now Mike Mike Duran is the um well i call him mike d no i don't call him mike d i'm gonna call him mike d now he leaves a lot of comments and um we don't always get to them well we don't we generally haven't really got to them apart from here and there um just because of the way we record stuff but i want to read some of the things he's left here so uh, just give me a moment. So uh, he left this one. This was about the previous episode. Uh, he mentioned that, um, he says, I never got to see Shadow Chasers in its first run. My family was into, very into Magnum P.I., which was on CBS at that time. What do I remember? Uh, what I remember uh, was that ABC was promoting the living daylights out of Chasers. And I'm, I I was going to mention this, but um, this will be... Um, a teaser for it because I remember this too. Uh, they were promoting Living Daylights out of it with some of the most annoying spots in the history of network hype. In the most notorious one, which is on YouTube, several uh, ABC stars are constricted into calling out shadow chasers for the camera. One of the star shillers is Ron Howard, who is a friend and future producing partner, Brian Grazer. Uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, he has the most to say in the spot. I, I remember these very clearly. 
Um, uh, and he's going to hopefully have a look at them soon. Uh, and Nina, Nina, uh, F O C H name is pronounced Foch, Nina Foch. I hope I'm getting that right. And uh, yeah, so so that was a comment he had there. And I just want to comment, comment, comment. He had one more on um, the uh, or in the vicinity of the previous one, uh, mentioning um, uh, uh, the Baron, as he had mentioned back in the early episodes, was Eddie Cole, a contract musician at Warner's at the time, older brother of Nat King Cole. And because uh, I believe we talked about the Baron in the um, Oh, yes, that's right. In the previous episode, well, you you guys remember uh, when when Burbsy Beat was starting out, the apparent intent was for the music to be a major part of the stories. As you may have noticed, this aspect faded away as the season wore on. Uh, this episode came at the tail end of the run. This is the the previous episode uh, when the decision to drop BSB had already been made. Eddie Cole had likely gone on other assignments at Warner, so regular session men were assigned to provide whatever music might be needed. Uh, let's see. Um, boo, 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 boo. Oh, uh, David Goodis. He mentions David Goodis, who, who's credited with the original storyline here. Uh, briefly, Mr. Goodis was so prolific in pulps and paperbacks, and ultimately B-movies, that determining which of his stories was the source here is something that only a pulp fiction expert would have the time or patience to suss out. Um, and I guess there are several volumes about his output available. Uh, we can look into. Uh, let's see. Uh, he, he just read this about Jeffrey Hunter, uh, who we mentioned in the previous, The Green Hornet. Um, just before his death in 1969, Hunter was trying to get the part of the dad, apparently, on the Brady Bunch. Uh, Sherwood Schwartz uh, turned him down because he was too good looking to be an architect. He doesn't know if that story is for true. Um, but I guess, oh wow, the, the front runner for a long time was Gene Hackman. Make of that what you will. Thank you, Mike. And the previous post, he had mentioned the Shadow Chasers promos. Um, let's see. Uh, and, oh, one more thing from Green Hornet. This, oh, this is interesting. The squealer at the opening is played by Harvey Perry, a Hollywood, uh, a legendary stuntman from Hollywood. Um, and he, and he, and Mike says, have you ever seen that silent comedy scene where Harold Lloyd is climbing up the side of the building? Yes, Mike, I have. It's from Safety Last, 1923. It's the last 20 minutes of the film. He climbs up the side of the building. I was actually... Um, it's funny. I, I've seen a lot of Harold Lloyd films on the big screen. Uh, his glasses-related silent films, not his Lonesome Luke and things like that. Um, Safety Last, back in 1997. Safety Last was going to be shown at the silent movie theater in uh, Los Angeles, uh, which now is... I don't even know it's a I don't even know if it's a theater anymore, and it was going to be shown on a Friday. I had a ticket to go see it on a Friday, and the man who ran and on that Sunday I think or maybe like on the Monday or Tuesday they showed Murnau's uh, Sunrise, and if you look up silent movie theater 1997 and like murder, he was someone broke into the theater during the screening of Sunrise and shot and killed him. And so I never saw Safety Last. And I know that sounds like, oh, Dan, oh, it's so terrible. You didn't get to see Safety Last because, no, 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 it was terrible because he, he got shot and killed. He was an extremely nice man. And I, I met him several times. And but, but it's always like whenever I think of Safety Last, well, first off, Criterion released a beautiful Safety Last Blu-ray. Um, the last 20 minutes of Safety Last when Harold Lloyd climbs the side of the building is brilliant. 
the kid brother i think is a better uh safety last film. it's a better harold lloyd film but yeah yeah that's um but but you know, it's it's a heartbreaker i almost got to see safety last in the big screen but um uh yeah it was revealed a few years back uh, this is mike's thing again that in the long shots we we couldn't see lloyd's face harvey perry was actually doing the climbing um when Harvey uh, Perry made his Hornet episode, he was in his late 60s approximately. He was still in demand for falls and spills up to the end of his days. Kind of like Buster Keaton would always fall around and that kind of thing and do pie throwing and stuff. Um, it's interesting. Um, I think, I think is Harvey Perry not the um, the guy who's supposed to climb the building in safety last? Give me a second. Oh, no, he's not. I apologize. I remember reading somewhere a long time ago that the gentleman who's supposed to climb the building, but then Harold takes over, was the one who did the long shots. Um, but he's apparently not. It was um, it was uh, Mr. Perry. Um, and uh, that that's cool. Uh, that's that's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Because here's the thing. Um, uh, he had made Harold Lloyd made a, a film a short called Haunted Spooks. Um, which is super fun. It has it has a lot of great gags, including one where he jumps to his death off of a bridge into a sort of a river, which is really beautifully <laughs> set up. But in Haunted Spooks, and I, I don't have the full story here, but this is just off of memory, they had like fake bombs or something like that in a box, and Harold Lloyd picked one of them up, and it wasn't a fake one, and it went off and it blew off like two fingers on one of his hands. I forget which right or left hand i forget which but it blew a couple fingers off of his one of his hands two to three fingers and so he wore a glove that had like fake fingers in it to look like he had but but you can see like if you watch harold lloyd films you can see if you look at his hands um you can sort of see that like one of them is a bit different from the other so when like he's hanging from the clock or in the 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 um uh, like when he's swinging there's a sequence where he's like swinging on the ledge and it's like i've I've done stupid stuff like that myself, um, hung from stuff like that. And so um, uh, I, I know how hard that is to do when you have all your fingers. I can't even imagine what that was like when you were missing fingers. So yeah, Haunted Spooks is a fun... Um, I, was, I think I have it on the Slapstick Encyclopedia DVD set around here somewhere here. But the Haunted Spooks is, is a fun one. If, if you... Yeah, the Harold Lloyd discussion is for another podcast but yeah no that's i didn't realize that 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 he was the guy who who did the long shots that that was pretty that was pretty cool um uh yeah it's a great great for movie thank you mike thank you so much i appreciate that um and th i guess that is the end of this um episode everybody and um yeah uh episode 85 well hopefully amanda and i will finish masquerade and uh we'll do the next episode the missing episode in my world until a few years ago shadow chases and uh mitchell and i will take the ferry to algeria yeah yeah we'll see where that goes um but that's um where are we online who knows who cares at this time you know it's but uh at e super train one eventually super train on facebook eventually super train dot com. it's you know it's a good time folks I, ho I hope you enjoyed it um yeah it's uh life being what it is right now you just try to get the the bits of entertainment the bits of enjoyment out of it where you can and uh, I'm having fun doing this. Um, I'll be honest, Mitchell and I have already recorded our Fairy to Algeria discussion, so I'm excited to hear that. And I, I need to rewatch The Shadow Chasers. Um, 
episode. And I, gosh, I hope I'm in and I kind of do the masquerade. If not, um, hopefully I can find that other green hornet. <laughs> I I may have lost it. I yeah, It's okay. It's okay. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Episode 84. We'll be back with episode 85. It'll be great. We'll have a brand new old show coming up soon. And um, the moment I don't know what that is. But it's going to be great. Thank you for listening, everyone. Talk to you next time. Now comes Miller time. You've turned a dangerous ledge of new powder into a harmless pile of snow. Now's the time to head for the best-tasting beer you can find. Miller High Life, America's quality beer since 1855. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. Miller Beer. Miller tastes too good to hurry through. But when it's time to relax, Miller stands clear. Beer after beer. Got the time we